Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Uh, and the little dinosaur friend of yours. Yeah, he's kind of become a fixture. Or she. What's his, yeah, it looks like a she, I guess. Yeah, it's a she. What's his, uh, her name? Oh, Dinah. Nice. <laughs> that was sharp, Chuck. Thank you. I appreciate that. Not as sharp, however, unfortunately, as the blade of the cattleman's chainsaw. <laughs> cutting down their tropical rainforest like crazy. Yeah, or burning it. Yeah. Crazy. Well, that's what they used to do, supposedly. I don't know if you know this or not, but I read a couple of books um, by a guy named Charles C. Mann. <laughs> and you, one's called 1491, and the yeah. other calls 14. The other is called 1493. And um, in it, he talks about how there's a lot of evidence that the Amazon basin mm-hmm. was a completely human managed creation. That it's not like some virgin tropical rainforest in this natural state that it was like created. Like we planted it? Yeah. And, really? And managed it. <clears throat> huh. And um, I think he says like if that's the case, then it's like the largest public works project ever <laughs> undertaken in the Seriously. history of humanity. But one of the pieces of evidence is this like slash and char agriculture. Right. Where it's like you set the forest on fire. um, but you don't let it burn all the way down into ash. You like, you know, put it out, and it leaves these stumps of charcoal, which actually um, make the ground more fertile. Huh. Which it turns out su- is a surprising factor, if you ask me, a surprising fact. Yeah. Of the podcast that the um, ground, the soil in this incredibly lush Amazon rainforest or any rainforest, tropical rainforest, we sure. should say, is really not very fertile at all. Yeah, at least deep down. That's a good point. Yeah. And that is in this article. And I thought that was pretty interesting, too. I thought this article was jam-packed with stuff, and then it just takes a really depressing turn at the end. Yeah, because everyone knows what's going on with the rainforest. And we're going to read a, a plug later, but uh, our old friend Joanne, um, who nominated us oh, yeah. for an Emmy nomination, mm-hmm. of course, we learned quickly that spoken word albums... You don't have a shot. It's unless, who you know. Well, no, it's kind of a ripoff because all the spoken word Emmys, I'm sorry, Grammys. Right. I had to say Emmy. All the spoken word Grammys are people reading their autobiographies. Who know everybody. It's just such a ripoff. I know. It it's really like is. Hardworking folks like you and I can't be nominated for a Grammy because Tina Fey read her book out loud in yeah. front of a microphone. Yeah, and look, it's so funny. She's got like a man's forearms. <laughs> it's hilarious. I love Tina Fey. But anyway, Joanne. Uh, Stanalonis, and I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, works for the Amazon Institute. Right. And uh, she's one who kind of um, got me thinking about this today. And uh, we're going to plug her organization later. Okay. You can adopt a sloth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great news. Pretty neat. So having said that, thank you, Joanne. You know, my big problem with those programs is you don't actually get to take the sloth or the kid or whoever <laughs> yeah, home with you. It's a symbolic adoption, I think. It's just like giving money to somebody <laughs> is what it amounts to. Pretty much. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a good thing to plug Chuckers. Great. Chuck, um, I want you to know something. The tropical rainforests on Earth cover 6 to 7% of the dry land on the planet. Yeah, not counting the oceans. Right. But they may, they are home to about 
50% of the species on the whole planet. Isn't yeah. that mind-boggling? I'm just going to go ahead and say this whole <clears throat> podcast, you will be blown away by the numbers, the sheer numbers of diversity going on. Yes. And sadly, 6% now, it used to be 14%. Yeah, the, it's going away at an alarming rate. Yeah. There's a, a statistic given at the end um, of this article that I've heard many times with some of these like kind of hippie um, e- ecology statistics, you have to kind of go back and look, you know, um, a lot of them, like it, they're just so staggering and it's very important yeah. stuff that some sensational ones kind of slip through the cracks and like get reported over and over and over again. Right, right. But the 40, like, okay, so the there, there's a statistic that at the current rate of deforestation, mm-hmm. there will be no tropical rainforests left on Earth in 40 years. And I looked it up, and um, apparently that's fairly close to accurate. So at the rate that it's being deforested today, which is about 50,000 acres a day. Yeah. It's 1.3 acres a second or something like that? 1.5 acres a second. Okay. Every second. Yeah, that is depressing. Yeah. So 50,000 acres a day. Um, so if you take the total acreage of rainforest left on Earth and divide it by 50,000 acres lost a day, yeah. it if you do that constantly, 24 hours a day, every day, in 40 years, there's no rainforest left at this rate. You want to hear something else scary? Yeah. Uh, 500 years ago, there were 10 million Indians living in the Amazonian rainforest. 10 million. Today, less than 200,000. Yeah, and that's, that's the Amazon alone, right? Yeah, Amazonian rainforest. Well, the Amazon is by far the largest rainforest. It's The Amazon makes up 54% of the tropical rainforest left on Earth, of all the tropical rainforests. Yeah, but all, all in, I think there are more than 80 countries uh, through Africa, Australia, Asia, Central and South America. Right. That, um, And we're talking tropical. We're not talking about you in Seattle and you in Oregon. Those are rainforests. They're beautiful. They're not tropical rainforests. But they're not tropical rainforests. You try to find a sloth in there. You can't do it. No sloth? Not that I know of. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, so I guess let's talk about weather. Okay. Lots of rain in a rainforest. Yeah, they don't call it that for nothing. No. Did you convert these inches to feet? Because it's startling when you do. No. Um, <clears throat> I'll give you inches first, and if you have that conversion, that's great. 160 to 400 inches of rain per year. It's 13 to 33 feet of rain. Of rain every year. Man, we For, think it rains a lot in Georgia. Right. Yeah. No, it makes Georgia look like the Sahara Desert. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe even the Gobi. Yeah. Uh, if, for those of you living outside the United States, and what other country was it that used the imperial system? Liberia? Yeah. Um, that's, we're talking 406.4 to 1,016 centimeters. That's a lot of centimeters. It's a lot of meters. Uh, there is no dry season. Yeah. Like you have in some places, like where you have like monsoon season, monsoon season mm-hmm. dry season. Uh, it's wet all year round, spread out pretty evenly. Uh, temperature remains pretty constant, hot and muggy, then yeah. dip below 60. That's because tropical rainforests form a band around the equator. Yeah. Between the two meridians, the tropics. Things don't change a lot there. Right, because the, uh, what is it, the um, precession of the earth doesn't create seasons like it does elsewhere in the northern or southern hemisphere. Sure. We get a little further away from the sun, it gets a little cooler. Right. So what you have, hot, m- wet, yeah, and um, green. 
Yes. And the reason, like monster green. Monster green. Like, uh, I guess we should start at the top with the canopy. Yeah. Um, I drew also, Chuck, if you need any help, I drew a little diagram. Uh, did you? <laughs> it's a text to picture. You need to put a little happy face on your sunshine. Oh, yeah. I didn't bring a pen. <laughs> oh, well. I would. We can add that later. But if you need this, this is here to reference. I appreciate you. that. Uh, the canopy, we're talking uh, giant trees, 60 to 150 feet. Um, tall, forming the thick canopy such that only like 1% of light will eventually hit the floor yeah. of the jungle. And then above that, sometimes you're going to have these, and I see you drew them, mm-hmm. the little, uh, what are they called? Emergence. Emergence. These trees that are so uh, stubborn and intent on getting sunlight, they're like, you know what, I'm going to grow even higher than the canopy right? and steal all that sunlight for myself. Yeah. They're Very crooks, yeah. crook trees, basically. There's a lot of crooks called. that we're going to get to in this. Yeah, it's kind of... Okay, so one thing that I learned from reading this uh-huh. is the, the tropical rainforest is a real like dog-eat-dog yeah. uh, um, ecosystem. Maybe sure. we should just get rid of it all. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it's brutal. <laughs> plants, like sucking the life out of other plants. Yeah, that's just how it goes. That's what it's like in the jungle, Josh. So you've got the canopy level. Got the canopy. It's way very up high. thick. Mm-hmm. And you said another fact of the podcast to me. Um, only 1% yeah. of the sunlight that hits that canopy makes it down to the forest floor. Yeah, and another cool thing that was pointed out a little later is that um, if if like one of these trees dies and there's a hole in the canopy yeah. and little sunlight gets through, it's like everyone and everything goes berserker. Plants and animals like, sun. You gotta get to it. That right. is our life. Yeah. And they like scramble toward these little sunspots. It's like um that rush song, the trees. Ah yeah. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh that was in they were like way proggy early phase. They then I like prog rock because I like rush. Yeah, well apparently their new album's pretty good. <laughs> Everything they did was good. No, I mean they had uh, Name one album of theirs that wasn't good. Well, I mean anything <laughs> since the late 80s to me. No, man, I'm telling you, it was still, still good. good. Yeah. Well, they're getting high marks for their new one, for being like sort of a throwback to their old sound. That's great. I actually don't like their earliest stuff, like 2112, not that big on. Meh. All right. Boy, that's a dude conversation. <laughs> you ever <laughs> been to a Rush show? There's yeah. Like five girls there. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And they're looking around like this. Yeah, like. exactly. And the guys don't even notice them. Yeah. Because Getty Lee's on stage. And I'm wearing a wizard's hat. <laughs> All right, so the forest floor, where it's uh, nice and dark and dank, um, you're going to find what you would probably expect, which is a lot of moss and fungus. No grass. No. You'd be hard-pressed to grow any grass on the forest <laughs> floor of a tropical rainforest. I think you're right, because there's not much light, like we were talking about. 1%. 1% of available light. Yeah. The one percenters. <laughs> there on the jungle floor. Uh, so like you said... Let's say a tree dies, there's an opening. It's kind of like um, a rent-controlled apartment. Yeah. Right? Everybody's scrambling for it. Sure. This this happens probably more than you would think, and it's not even necessarily a tree dying. A tree could just fall over, as we'll see later. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, when when that's not the case in an area where there's seedlings trying to grow, most of them die. Yeah. Because you have to make it 60 to 100 feet to the top of the canopy yeah. to start Growing branches. It's pretty it remarkable. It takes a lot of light to generate the, or to undertake the process of photosynthesis to get that tall to ensure your survival anyway. Yeah. Um, and if you are one of those lucky 1% seedlings, 
Okay. Oh, wait, yeah. I just confused two different statistics. Yeah. If you are one of those lucky seedlings that happens to have an opening in the canopy and makes it all the way up there and yeah. starts growing, makes a nice life for yourself, um, you are probably going to be subject to basically what are parasitic plants. Yeah. Not carnivorous plants even, parasitic plants. Yeah, the uh, epiphytes, <clears throat> they actually grow onto giant trees. They, they use that as their ladder yeah. to get to the top. Well, they form the understory, too. So you have the canopy, yeah. and then just under that, where there's still some light coming sure. in, but nothing like above the canopy, you have those epiphytes, and those are like ferns and um, and uh, orchids. Yeah, which are very beautiful. Air plants. Yeah. Because the sure. roots aren't in the ground, they're on the side of the tree. Yeah, they're like the succubus. Yeah. And they can eventually kill this tree if they get to the top, and they're doing fine up there, and then their roots spread out and choke the tree to death. Yeah. Then that tree can actually decompose, but the lattice framework is still there. Yep. So the uh, epiphyte is just like, great, thanks for the ride. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, I killed you. <laughs> thanks for the ride, lady. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So an epiphyte can turn into a strangler. It's basically an epiphyte that's gone bad. Well, like you said, it's doggy dog. Everyone's trying to get up to the top. I know, but if you're an epiphyte or a liana, which is a uh, um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. It, which is basically a vine that can grow all the way up and then starts to spread. It's like kudzu. Yeah. Um, you're not doing anything really on your own. You're dependent on some other organism. Whereas if you're a tree, Aren't you're just doing your own thing. Yeah. But then you're dependent on the sun. Well, yeah, but rain. you can hardly be faulted for that. Everyone's mooching off of somebody. Um, Except, I guess, the sun. Yeah, the sun's true. the one that's providing it for everybody. All right, so the buck stops there. You were talking about the uh, infertile soil. Um, it rains so much mm, that yeah. the nutrients get washed away really easily, and they don't never get to like penetrate deep into the earth. Right. So uh, Jerry laughed at that. Very yeah. nice. And um, it wasn't unsettling or off-putting. <laughs> and so what happens is you get a very thin layer of fertile soil. So what you get there is very thin, um, not very Shallow. deep roots, and yeah. in the end, you get trees that fall down pretty easily. Yeah. Like in here in Atlanta, when we go through heavy drought, mm-hmm. you'll also often see like trees falling down during windstorms yeah. because their roots never like got super low. Yeah. This is exactly the same thing. Exactly. Uh, but some trees have adapted a way around this called buttresses, which is basically like a trunk coming off of the trunk. And just going down to stabilize it. Yeah, have you, did you look those up? I've seen those before. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's like a stand almost surrounding the base of the tree. Mm-hmm. It's kind of neat. Yeah. It's, it's like, a buttress. Yeah, well, a buttress of any kind is a support system. Um, you, you're one of my buttresses. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, so I think that is worth saying again. Like The reason that the tree roots are shallow is because nutrients are scarce. Yes. Um, and one of the reasons why is because it rains so much, right? Yeah. Um, but even still, like these, these plant species and animal species, as we'll see, are, um, they've just adapted for life in this really high up, like everything, everything that sustains life is basically up there. Yeah. For the most part. Um, and all of these, these plants and animals have made these awesome adaptations to live high up in the air, um, in a place where nutrients are really hard to come by. And there's a lot of competition for everything. A lot of competition. I just think it's best, like a buttress. 
It's like, oh, yeah. well, I'll fall over if I don't grow another trunk. So I'll grow another trunk. Well, or the uh, <clears throat> the epiphytes can get to the top and then leap from tree to tree mm-hmm. and further seal in the canopy. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so we should talk about bacteria for a minute. Plays an important part. What? In any ecosystem. Yeah. But especially in the rainforest. Um, you know, <clears throat> trees break down bacteria with food. Mm-hmm. Uh, or... I'm sorry, provide bacteria food. Bacteria trees, eats it up. I can't believe I agreed with that. <laughs> like, yeah. Trees break down bacteria's food. And uh, then the bacteria poop that out and feed the trees. Right. And they're just like, it's a great little relationship. It's symbiotic. Everybody gets what they want. It's like those little birds that pick um, bugs off of the back of what, a hippo? Is it a hippo that, that does that? I don't know. I've seen that now. Or there's no, there's one that, there's a bird that picks food out of like the mouth of a hippo. Really? It's really dangerous to be that bird, but like the hippos are like... Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of cute. Uh, and here's another mind-blowing stat if we want to talk about diversity. Let's say you live in uh, northwest Oregon. Okay. And you're like, dude, we've got like a dozen tree species here in this forest. It's like so diverse. Yeah. Hit, hit the hacky sack again. And <laughs> <laughs> let's get out of here. 300 different uh, distinct tree species in the, in, the, in the rainforest. Yeah. 300. Yeah, but. That's just trees. They're really, really spread out. Yeah. So, like, in an acre, you might find just, like, a few of that species. Yeah. So there's a bunch of different species packed into one acre. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, Ten million animal species. Yeah. That's Ten a million. Lot. That's a lot. Unfortunately, <clears throat> uh, they are being destroyed at the rate of 50,000 species per year. Uh, experts say that we're losing 137 plant, animal, and insect species every single day from right. the deforestation. 137 species, not just like, oh, that bug died. It's like all of that bug died. <laughs> yeah. Today. Yeah. On Monday. Yeah. And guess what will happen tomorrow? All of another insect will die. 137 of them. It's crazy. It's just like, it's the saddest thing ever. Um, and it's not just sad, too. I mean, we'll see in a second, like, what the problem is when, oh, yeah, when sure. that happens. You know, biodiversity is important. And if you're talking about the cradle of biodiversity, then it becomes even more important. Right. Because it's like the cool part of town and then the suburbs as far as planet Earth goes. And then the exurbs. We can't even talk about that. <laughs> uh, all right. But out of these 10 million, of course, insects are going to be the most abundant. And then out of all of those, ants are the most abundant thing in the rainforest. Yeah. So I, I found somewhere that um, they make up 30% of the biomass of a tropical rainforest. Really? From what I understand, like, that's, like, the entire biomass, the trees and all that stuff. Wow. The ants make up 30% of that. Oh, man. Yeah. I bet they're not fun to deal with. And so, <laughs> yes, and something like 15%, so half of that is fire ants. Really? Wow. Can you imagine? Have you seen this incredible movie? It's called um, Medicine Kingdom Man? of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> it's an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> There's these fire ants in there. It's just uh, crazy what they can do to a man. Such an abomination. Um, Did you see the South Park about that? Uh-uh. Oh, was God. it great? It was great. It was also probably like the most disturbing <laughs> I think you South told me Park you've ever seen. About yeah. what happened. Yeah. You used to see it. We can't say it on the air, though. No. I can't <laughs> even... Be, I shouldn't even be endorsing that episode. Right. <laughs> um, so these insects also have a very symbiotic relationship with the forest. Yeah. Um, because they, along with birds, help spread the seeds around. 
because there's not a lot of wind going on. There's like zero the wind. Yeah, so seeds aren't going to propagate by flowing through the air like they do elsewhere. Yeah. So you got these little insects eating them and then carrying them off 10, 20 feet away. Right. Or birds carrying them miles and miles away. Pooping them out. Pooping them out, and then you're spreading seed. Yeah. Which is probably another reason why each acre has like so many different kinds of uh, plant life going on. Right. You know? Yeah, well, I think that's definitely why. Um, the birds also, especially like, say, hummingbirds, mm-hmm. which there's an abundance in the tropical rainforest, um, they will get pollen all over themselves as they go from, like, orchid to orchid. Yeah. So that helps propagate um, orchids or epiphytes, which typically can't really get from tree to tree. Right. You know? So when you uh, when you have an orchid that's evolved specifically for a hummingbird, it's going to attract those hummingbirds with your delicious nectar and help generate new orchids. Nice. Elsewhere. I associate hummingbirds with the sun for some reason. Yeah. Probably just because where I live. Yeah. But it's hard to imagine them in like in the dark jungle. Well, I think in the understory, which is where the epiphytes are, it's it's not that dark. It's like a hundred feet floor. down yeah, where it's true. like you can't really see. Yeah. Um reptiles, obviously tons of reptiles and amphibians. If mm-hmm. you if you want to avoid snakes, then the Amazon uh, rainforest is probably not where you want to go. Yeah. Um but a lot of these are being smuggled out. Evidently live animals are the fourth fourth largest smuggling commodity. Smuggling out these live animals for resale. Is that for bushmeat or just for pets? No, a pet, like black market pets. There's a documentary on that. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Behind drugs, diamonds, and weapons. See, that's such BS. They always say that. Like, it's always like those and then whatever you want to put behind it. I've seen counterfeit materials. For being smuggling? uh, For fourth, yeah. For like black market stuff. It's like... Whatever whatever you're talking about, Drugs, it's always diamonds. the fourth one after those, yeah. <laughs> Drugs, diamonds, weapons, and knockoff Furbies. <laughs> right. Uh, you might be right, Josh. I think I am. But I'm going with it. Uh, but you did talk about uh, earlier about the different types of adaptations for the animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like um, little webs of skin, like on a flying squirrel yeah. and other animals to allow it to like soar between trees. It's creepy. Pretty neat. Prehensile tails. I love a prehensile tail. Which is just like an extra hand, especially for a grasping hand, basically, is what it is. Not like a card playing hand. Yeah. More like a branch grabbing hand. Like, I'm going to hang on to this with and like carry my body weight with my tail. So yeah. I can use both hands. Watch me show off. Exactly. I'm a howler monkey. Can you do a howler monkey impression? No. Can you? No. no okay. I don't know anyone who can either. I was just hoping you to. You I could. bet that guy from Police Academy could. Oh yeah, yeah. Michael. I knew you know his name. <laughs> Michael. Do you remember it? Michael Winterbottom. No. No. I don't know. He was good though. You know we're gonna get some emails about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was Michael so and so. Right. Uh, lots of bats, and then thus lots of bat scat. Dude, there is a there's a park in Zambia. Mm-hmm. Um, called uh, Kansaka, Kansanka, Kasanka National Reserve. Mm-hmm. And it's home to the largest bat migration in the world. Every October, 10 million bats come to roost and eat these mangoes that are ripening nearby. Wow. And um, they cover everything. And apparently when they, when they take off at dusk, uh-huh. they blot out, the sky. the sky for like 20 minutes wow. in every direction. Dude, that's so scary. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm sure they're, they just want the mangoes, though. They're, yeah, they're yeah, they don't care about you, but yeah. man. Man. I even like bats, and I'm creeped out by that. Yeah. Austin, Texas has nothing on those. Oh, yeah, they have that, uh, that the tunnel. The, yeah, the overpass or mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. Um, gorillas, great apes, orangutans, pigs, big cats, Oh, and elephants. Bat, and bat scat, by the way. Another thing I found in 1493. Like, that was a huge, huge industry. Yeah. Bat, but like bat guano mining. Because they used it for, like, fertilizer for so long. Oh, yeah. That, like, people made... Like fortunes, like oil fortunes off of these things. And it was all like in, in these tropical areas. Wow. There were like quarries of that they were digging out back guano from. Huh. Yeah. And who were the big names there that got rich? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, okay. So I would imagine like, they were mostly in Brazil. Okay. It's not like the Gettys or the standards. I, I don't think so. Okay. The standards. Standard oil. <laughs> <laughs> I knew a standard. Really? Sure. Um, people, like we talked about, indigenous tribes, uh, like are being basically shoved out at an alarming rate. And these people, it's really sad because they have like, uh, these medicine men who have a great deal of knowledge who are very old. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, and one of the little hippie websites I went to said, if, you know, one of these medicine men dies, then it's like burning down a library, like unless they passed on their knowledge. Then it just dies with them. Yeah. Just like some native languages do. It's really sad. Yeah. And that's why the movie Medicine Man was was set in the Amazon. <laughs> yeah. It's because, like, people think if there's a cure for cancer and AIDS, it lies in the jungles. So, okay. That's one thing Which I, I believe, by the way. Well, they call rainforest the pharmacy of the world. Yeah, but I just have a personal theory that there is no disease wherein there is not a cure. Uh, here on Earth? Yeah, I think it's... It's pretty biblical of you. No, it's nothing to do with that. You don't think so? No, I just think it's the yin and yang of Mother Nature. Like, there cannot be one without the other. I got you. Does that make sense? Uh Uh-huh. It's pretty interesting. I don't have anything to back that up. (laughs) It's just my personal thought. (laughs) Well, just stick around, you know, and... uh, Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, So, apparently, 25%, a quarter of all the medicines we use today have their origins from plants in the rainforest. That's a pre- that's a pretty significant backing for what you're saying. Well, yeah, which always cracks me up when we get uh, crap for talking about like Eastern and Western medicine. Mm-hmm. People are like you should just call it real medicine or not real medicine. I don't think a lot of these people realize how much of their pharmaceuticals are based on right. plants that right. some shaman discovered. You know, we have a lot of angry listeners, don't we? <laughs> Sometimes, um, but. Just 1% of the plants in the Amazon rainforest has been um, analyzed by Western Western chemists, I guess. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Remember we did an ethnobotany episode that was pretty good. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, but even still, even with just that 1%, um, 25% of our Western medicine, from that 1%, 25% of all of our medicines came from that, that 1% analysis. Yeah, 121 prescription drugs. Are plant derived. Yep, that's amazing. Um, we get a lot of food. Apparently, there's something like two thousand um, types Three. of usable fruit. Three thousand. Three thousand total. Indigenous tribes throughout the rainforests use about two thousand estimated, yeah. and then we in the West have used like two hundred. I know, isn't that nuts? Yeah, there are like literally eighteen hundred types of fruit that we just don't eat over here. Yeah. 
and you go to these farmers markets and you see something like, wow, I've never seen this, whatever it is. Yeah. Like imagine 1800 different things that you've never seen before. Right. Um, yeah. And that's like a farmer's market. I'm still like blown away by jackfruit. (laughs) Which one is that? It's, they're huge and they have like spine, um, like, um, you know what I mean, so. Yeah, my dad's into into that stuff now, exotic fruits. He should go to like, um. He goes to the Buford Highway Farmers Market. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah. Um. And speaking of good eating, the Amazon, well, not the Amazon, I, I always want to say the Amazon, but the tropical rainforests of the world are home to one quarter of the bird population. Parrots. Oh, yeah. Toucans. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> you can't eat a toucan. You can eat Fruit Loops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of the things that we take for granted over here came from the rainforest, like potatoes, rice, uh, black pepper, my favorite spice. Cinnamon, cloves, avocado. Pineapples, corn, chocolate, coffee. Tomatoes? Like everything you love, almost. Potatoes 80% is here. of the food we eat. I don't think potatoes were from the rainforest. I think they were from the mountains of the Andes. Why did it say that in here then? This is wrong. It's possible. <laughs> well, roughly 80% of the food we eat originally came from tropical rainforest, so that's a pretty amazing stat too. Um, also- yet, yet we're just tearing them down, willy-nilly. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of a problem. So we're losing the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. We're losing tons of- um, delicious fruit and delicious birds. Yeah. Um, losing people. A lot of people, 10 million to 200,000. 10 million Less from than... pre-Columbian. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while, but still, that's a drastic reduction. You also hear that the, we're losing the world's lungs, but apparently that's not necessarily true. Yeah, they used to call, it's funny, it goes, they go by the lungs <clears throat> of the world, is the Amazon, right. the pharmacy of the world. And then someone else in here calls it the air conditioner of the world. Right. Why can't it just be the jungle? Well, I think the they're trying to drive it home to like fat, lazy Westerners who are yeah, like, oh, wait, I need that stuff. Right, right, right. I don't want to be hot. <laughs> yeah, they used to think that the, uh, the, uh, the rainforest was super important for providing uh, oxygen. But um, apparently recent evidence shows that it doesn't have that much of an effect on the oxygen supply. The, not a net effect. Not a net effect. It does. It still produces like 20% oh, sure. of the world's oxygen, yeah, supposedly, yeah, yeah. which was the stat that was bandied about for a long oh, okay. time. But it requires a, about that much to decompose everything on the floor. Gotcha. Yeah. But it is the air conditioner of the world in a way. How so? Well, the dark depths of the rainforest are going to absorb a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. And if you mow these things down, there's going to be a lot more sun reflected back up in the atmosphere, uh, which is going to increase the overall temperature of the planet. So let's talk about why. Why would anybody mow this down? If these things are like the na- nature's pharmacy or the world's pharmacy, the world's air conditioner, the world's lungs, the world's... The world's strip club. Yeah, everything, right? Yeah. So like, why would anybody cut this stuff down? Uh, short-sightedness. Of huge corporations is my answer. Even more directly, like, what are they after, though? Oh. <laughs> Clearing land for, like, lumber. Yeah. Paper products. Yeah. Uh, making pastures for cows. Yeah. Which is <laughs> not a very smart way to go about things. No, it really know. isn't. Like, let's cut down old-growth rainforests for these cows. <laughs> yeah. So they can have a, you know, barren landscape. Well, that's part of the problem is... Um, because these soils are so nutrient poor, apparently when you clear cut the rainforest chuckers, you have like usable land, arable land for a year or two. Yeah. Um, so be, it, part of it's because this nutrient turnover from all the rainfall. Yeah. But also 
all of a sudden the soil that's used to almost no sunlight whatsoever is suddenly subject to light and heat uh, of uh, m- immense proportions. We're at the equator. Yeah. And so it bakes and cracks and loses its nutrients even faster through runoff. So causes flooding. It's really a terrible, terrible use of this land, using it for crops and livestock. Yeah, I've got a stat for you, too. Um, I mean, it doesn't pay off either in the long run. Um, this one statistic is that uh, land converted to cattle operation yields mm-hmm. the land owner $60 per acre. Uh, if they harvest it for timber, it's going to be worth $400 per acre. But if you uh, use renewable and sustainable practices when you're harvesting, your land is going to yield $2,400 per acre in the long run. Wow. So it's, it's short-sightedness, and it's not these like it's not these indigenous people that, like, we need crops, so we're going to cut down the rainforest. Mm-hmm. It's Mitsubishi and uh, who else? Texaco, Georgia Pacific. Oh, what's the huge Unical. Brazilian? Um, like, these huge corporations are going Uniclo? in there and doing this. Unical. Oh, okay. Yeah. What do you think I said? Uniqlo. I don't know what that is. It's this clothing <laughs> company out of Japan. Oh, really? Yeah, it's big these days. <laughs> well, they hate the rainforest. <laughs> right. They don't even have any stake in it. They just go cut it down for fun. Yeah. Uh, we're laughing, but that's really sad. Well, also, um, indigenous tribes who are protected are frequently murdered by um, mercenaries who are hired by these mega corporations that you know want this land and drive these people off of their protected land. Yeah. Um, I believe there was like a little girl who was found dead, an indigenous tribe member who was found dead, like chained to a tree and like Jeez. just killed by loggers who wanted that land. It's really bad down there. That was Brazil, I think. Wow. Well, plus the mudslides and flooding and yeah. everything else that happens when you disrupt an ecosystem so drastically. Yeah. It's like the um, hunting whale sharks. Yeah. It, that's what I was reminded of when you were saying, like, the economic impact of preserving it is way better than just using it up right then. Yeah, short-sightedness. Short-sightedness. It's very sad that, uh, yeah, the companies still like that there's not a body that can say, like, we got to stop this now. Like, there's tons of people like Joanna doing this great work. Yeah. Don Henley, Sting, these people that have been on it for years. Yeah. But it just keeps happening. Well, why don't you plug them? Are we done? I, I don't have anything else. Handy search bar? Well, no. We should tell everybody about something very special and dear to our hearts. New York City. That's right. We are going to Comic-Con, and we will be doing a live podcast on Friday, October 12th. Yeah. At Comic-Con at yeah. the Javits Center. It's like our new thing. We did San Diego, now we're doing New York. That's right. Next up, Albuquerque. So if you are going to Comic-Con, you should come by and see that. But after Comic-Con, we have one of our famous... It's famous to us. <laughs> All-Star Trivia Nights. Right. Um, where is it going to be? The Cutting Room? It is at the grand reopening of the Cutting Room in uh, the Flatiron District, which yeah. is, what's the address? It is uh, 44 East 32nd Street in New York, and uh, it, it, it's in the Flatiron, you said? Yep. Awesome. And uh, doors open at 730. Trivia goes down at 830. And what is first come, first serve, right? Free, 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 first come, first serve. We will have a bar there that you can buy drinks. Yeah, you can buy us drinks. That's right. That We're going to just basically be having a really good time. If, you, if you're not familiar with our trivia nights, like, just come out and check it out. It'll be worth your while. Absolutely. And uh, stay tuned for info on Facebook and Twitter about the uh, makeup of the All-Star team. We are filling yep. that out as we speak. But yeah. 
we will have some special guests that you will want to meet. Yeah, and at the very least, you can come take on me and Chuck, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's just fun. So what is that? That's Friday, October 12th, right? Yep. Uh, the panel's at uh, when? Uh, the panel is at, I believe, 645. Okay, and then uh, we're going to be at the cutting room starting at 830. Trivia starts at 830, doors at 730. Be there, be square. You are good at this. Thank you. So, okay. Uh, if you want to learn more about Rainforest, type that word in R-A-I-N-F-O-R-E-S-T-S uh, into the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it will bring this up, and it's in handy search bar, so it's time for plugging the Amazon Institute. That's right. Um, things are, they're making some headway over there, but um, she basically uh, points out that uh, the bounty that Amazon is great, provides uh, a lot of fish, uh, fruits, vegetables, medicinal plants, Plenty, uh, plenty of fresh, clean water. Oh, I saw a stat, I can't remember it, that we didn't mention. Something about a percentage of the world's uh, clean, fresh water is, is in the rainforest, like a lot. Yeah. I can't remember how much it was. Oh, we've got the ice caps in melting a little bit. However, due to a lack of nutritional education, uh, they hunt monkeys and sloths to eat there. I'm telling you. Uh, these animals do not provide any nutritional value, though. They are bones and tendons, and they don't taste good either weird they just uh, fill space in a hungry stomach so you can participate in the adopt a sloth program uh, your money buys food and protection basically uh, two kilos each of beans rice coffee sugar and flour soap milk and eggs are given in exchange for a sloth or a monkey that was scheduled to be skinned and grilled is how they put it wow um so if you donate 75 bucks you can adopt a sloth. You get a certificate of ownership with the name you've chosen for your sloth. You own that sloth. <laughs> uh, and you get a CD of rainforest sounds. And students can actually adopt a sloth for a class. Mm-hmm. And they have curriculum that they provide teachers, uh, K-12. through um, They provide teachers with an educator's packet of lesson plans. If you email with your class size and curricular structure... They will give you, like, customized material for your classroom. Nice. So it's kind of cool. So you can read all about this at AmazonInstitute.com, and they are well worth supporting. That's a good going, Chuck. Yeah, good going, Joanne. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for everything, for nominating us for an Emmy. Grammy. Grammy. What is wrong with us today? Well, we're heading to TV. We're like, Emmys. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you have a really good um, nonprofit that's helping things, people, lets you adopt something, we're always down for that, especially if you're willing to nominate us for an award, too. Uh, that definitely <laughs> greases greases the wheels. Um, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can uh, join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 